Hello and welcome back to Take 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. Today's episode, we will be taking you into a galaxy far, far away. And yes, I just made the most obvious opening tagline I could for this potential series of episodes. Well, what am I saying? It is a series of episodes. This will be a part one to a three-part series of episodes where we will look at the legendary space opera sci-fi epic that is Star Wars. And specifically, I'll be looking at, in this series of episodes, all the way from the 1977 original Star Wars, or A New Hope, depending on which end of the spectrum you're looking at, all the way up to the last film in the saga, The Rise of Skywalker in 2019. Each episode will be focusing on a different trilogy, just to give it a decent amount of airtime. So today's episode will be focusing on 1977 through to 1983. So that's Star Wars or Star Wars A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. And that is what we'll be delving into today. And I can't really tackle this on my own. I have to get someone in on this. And I have a very good friend who I know will absolutely love and is itching, well, not even itching to talk about Star Wars. He talks about Star Wars all the time, whether you want him to or not. So I've just given him the perfect opportunity to join me on Take 97 to discuss this legendary saga of films. And that is Jack Parker. Hello, Jack. Hello there. General Kenobi. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're sorted for Star Wars jokes, although there are plenty more to come, I'm sure of it. Uh, How are you doing today, Jack? You all right? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Excellent. Uh, To be honest, like I said in the intro, I'm not over-exaggerating. You literally exude everything Star Wars. So first of all, can you, Jack, just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you know me briefly, and what it is you do in your spare time besides talking Star Wars? Um, Okay, so uh, me and David met on our HND in media production a few years ago, and then I went on to study a final year to make that into a degree at Solent in Southampton. So I have a Bachelor of Arts in media production from there. My main thing is camera operation, so I'm a cinematographer, but I used to also make stop motion animations. I haven't done one in a very long time, but I used to do that when I was younger. Most of that was actually Star Wars related as well. No surprise there. I've worked for you know the BBC, several other independent film companies. I mean, you've had Jason on the show, his film Homesick on Amazon. I helped him with that. I've also, there's another film recently that came to Amazon called Intervention uh, that I was also an assistant camera on. So yeah, I'm mostly just film crew work and, but mo- obviously with a focus on camera. And obviously in my spare time, I just live and breathe Star Wars. I'm obsessed with it. You know, whether it's uh, the new Disney stuff or classic Legends material, I know way too much about Star Wars, probably more than I know about being, you know, a normal person in society. So, But <laughs> <laughs> moving on to the actual main topic of today's episode, and that is Star Wars, the original trilogy. And that is so a new hope for some people because of the renaming of the film in the later years, particularly the 1990s and you know other iterations of the film, which we will mention through the episode some differences between what Jack knows about the originals as they were intended in the theatrical version and then the director's vision as it were from George Lucas when he discovered the joys of digital technology which we shall have a bit of fun with later. Let's start off with so A New Hope, Star Wars, whichever one you want to call it. Personally Jack I just want to actually start this off with because we're opening this Star Wars three-part fiesta as it were. Mm -hmm. What was your first experience of Star Wars or the Star Wars universe then or anything 
related to it was it the original trilogy or like on a dvd release or something or was it something completely different so my exposure style is actually quite interesting when i was actually very young i actually didn't have an interest in star wars at all but i had a close friend who was obsessed with it and he was always telling me to watch the films i knew about all the spoilers about the films before even watching them so, you know, I didn't get to experience them the way most people do. I My first memory of Star Wars, which obviously at the time I was uninterested by, is actually The Phantom Menace on TV. And it's the scene where Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan and Jar Jar jump down and save Queen Amidala. And I, rem- I just remember that scene vis- vividly. But obviously, I was busy doing something else, whatever I was doing as a kid. But I remember seeing that on TV and going, oh, that's kind of interesting, but not actually watching the film. Oh, yeah, no, it wasn't you. until um, I was about nine when they played the original trilogy and then the prequel trilogy. I think it was the first year they played Revenge of the Sith on TV for the first time since it came out. Because obviously there was a delay because it's considered a 12, I think, rather than a PG like the rest of the films are. My first exposure, my proper exposure was watching A New Hope. And I became absolutely obsessed from that point on. I like every week I went and watch the next one over and over and over and then started asking for the dvds buying the lego figures and everything else which is why i started doing stop motion because i came across all these star wars animations on youtube and obviously just got hooked like that so yeah basically since nine i've been obsessed with star wars oh that's perfect that's great for me personally my first experience of star wars although i was in viewed with the original trilogy i don't remember viewing it for the very first time i actually think my first memory living memory that i can actually come up with is revenge of the sith revenge of the sith specifically because i remember i've said it on another episode before i remember the marketing i remember all the toys that they released the action figures because i as a kid and you know even as a pop vinyl collector these days as well in part I did, I did used to collect a lot of action figures. Star Wars was one of them. And I remember getting not just like Lego, like you very much. There was Lego sets. No, I, I just, I remember getting the toys and being so excited for the film and watching the film. And, you know, I remember General Grievous and all that, which we'll go into in the next episode. But yeah, I think for us as 90, well, I say 90s kids, 90s born kids, naturally our first experience will always and naturally always be the prequel series i definitely preferred the prequels as a kid yeah no i think it's because of that enjoyment because they're the time of year they came out because they're a blockbuster and like the way digital technology and blockbuster films was working it was really just a, it gave you a sense of excitement back then as a kid to watch these big epic films probably in the same way that people viewed the original trilogies and naturally i like you i discovered them through somebody else my dad owned a dvd box set of it but yeah so the we're talking about the original trilogy primarily today and let's start off breaking down star wars as it was known in 1977 or star wars a new hope as it was known later down the line in the series of films that is collectively called the skywalker saga these days i'm gonna sort of just briefly explain for everyone who hasn't seen it i will we will go into spoiler territory here guys so yeah there is spoilers ahead here so if you haven't seen star wars i don't know who you are but this is your chance to watch them before you listen to us talk about them yeah spoiler warning we start out in a galaxy far far away and each of these films every single star wars film at least the skywalker saga We'll begin with the legendary, what is now known as the legendary credit roll, which we see, you know, credits, right? It's not even credits, really. The little 
paragraph that explains a bit of backstory for what happens off screen and before and leading up to the events that happen on in the film itself and which is quite nice actually it's a little bit like a preface of a book really which is you know it's nice it's a nice sort of narrative what's, device what's really. interesting is george lucas was i believe kicked from the director's guild for including that text cruel in star wars because it wasn't the done thing yeah but because he, he wanted it to be like flash gordon which is where he got the idea from yeah he was like well fine i'll do it on my own yeah no exactly but yeah like i said it starts off with one of those in every single film and we get the establishment that there's this battle between these two factions in a big space battle you know classic sci-fi stuff really there's good guys the bad guys that stuff at their basic level but then we open up with one of my favorite shots in sci-fi cinema really is the like is the rebel battle between what is to come and we get to see this very dark opening but it's also fun at the same time we, you know there's a chase you get immediately to the center of the story like some films like to build up small and starve like nowadays in modern cinema we get to see like a really brooding character at the beginning or you know something really meaningful and emotional to start your story off with a, and they even did it in the 40s with like the likes of film noir where you had like a character giving yourself a voiceover telling you about how it all went wrong and this is where the story starts whereas this one literally you get that text crawl at the beginning goes straight into the action and we're introduced to Darth Vader within literally minutes like under 10 minutes I'd say if I'm not an exact one on the minutes here but he definitely he appears very quickly which considering most villains don't really make their evil turn until like at least maybe a quarter maybe a third of the way through the movie in some films this was really exciting. For me watching it, you know, it was just, I imagine the same for you. You get that kick out of the whole, oh my God, what's going to happen? And just to cut the long story short, we get this battle between the Rebels and the Galactic Empire at loggerheads with each other. We see Darth Vader for the first time and we are then introduced to, obviously, the legendary, who is now no longer with us, Carrie Fisher's character, Princess Leia, who we will come to know and love in many ways. Leia does a really great turn in the beginning. She's introduced as this, you know, strange character because in the fact that she's British to start with and she slowly becomes American as we make her way through the trilogy, <laughs> which I find absolutely bizarre. What I think you- she's just trying to put on an act of, uh, of like, I'm royalty. Yeah. Um, it's, the, it's the I'm the imperial senator sort of brat persona that she has. Yeah. That she... Which- because she's a rebel at heart, so it's all an act to address Vader in the in a professional way. But as is established in the film, the Imperial Senate is it no longer exists, so none of that really matters anymore. And then obviously you've got the likes of Peter Cushing in his role, the legendary role as Grand Moff Tarkin, who's <laughs> just great. I only know Peter Cushing for two things. I know him as the the big screen film Doctor Who, and then there's obviously his Star Wars role. And quite frankly, you know, nothing really brings any extra gravitas more than just seeing his face against all the backdrop of the Star Wars universe. It's just, you know, when I think of Star Wars and the originals, I think of Darth Vader, I think of Luke, I think of Obi-Wan. But, you know, in terms of a supporting character, Peter Cushing really makes it for me personally. You know, it's like, he, he's big, but he's not big, if that makes sense. Like, you don't get a backstory. He's there, but he's really quality in his acting performance. Interesting uh, fact about the role of Grand Moff Tarkin. It was originally also offered to Sir Christopher Lee. Which would who, make a lot of sense, actually. Who was actually. Cushing's best friend back when they were both alive. And obviously, Christopher Lee 
regretted, obviously when Star Wars was a massive success, regretted rejecting the role, which is when he was offered to play Count Dooku in the prequels, he jumped at the chance. Many people did for the prequels because they were like, I missed out on the original Star Wars. Like, I must be in these films, so I'll, I'll play anything, you know? No, exactly. I, and honestly, like, what a treat that was as well. And to be honest, the fact that I don't really know whether I would have preferred Christopher Lee in that role or Peter Cushion. I feel like Peter Cushion really suits it. But then again, we are so used to him. I, I really wonder whether Christopher Lee would have done done it any differently. Like imagine if it was swap the roles were reversed. Like if Grand Moff Tarkin was actually played by Christopher Lee and then um Count Dooku was actually played by Peter Cushion if he was still alive. I you know that would be such a weird casting swap, wouldn't it? What do you I think? I think I think it worked out for the best. Yeah. Well I will say before we move on Obviously, we'll move on to the rest of the plot of A New Hope. But the opening scene, I think, that is one of the best opening scenes to any film because it's without any dialogue, it establishes everything you need to know. We pan after the credits roll, we pan down and we see a tiny ship, which is the Rebel Blockade Runner, being chased by this massive Star Destroyer. And what it does is as it crosses above us in the shot it shows both how small and weak the rebels are compared to the empire the empire has resources and power as it comes across the screen it portrays the image of like the long reach of the empire it shows that the empire is like everywhere it is a dominating shot it establishes empire is the obvious oppressors rebels are the you know the resistance group there the you know, fleeing the powerful. And I think it just does so much to establish that straight away. But obviously, as an audience member back in 1977, you don't know the, the reasons for the Galactic Civil War, which is what's happening. You know nothing about it. The film has just begun. It's the first film. But what the shot establishes straight away is the powerful and the oppressed is shown straight away. And obviously, when we cut to inside the ship, when we're, we're obviously introduced to C-3PO, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker as R2-D2, we are, and Princess Leia, uh, once the stormtroopers enter the ship, once they blast in, you can see the human faces of the rebels, you know, people you can empathize with, and the faceless stormtroopers. And of course, even Vader is wearing a mask. It's obvious who the bad guys are. No, uh, exactly. Not to mention that the rebels are more colorful, obviously, the stormtroopers are plain white, no personality at all. Obviously, white is normally associated with the good guys, which is why Leia is wearing white. But Vader is the obvious. He's in all black. He's obviously the evil character. And, the, and with the, also the Imperial officers being gray, they're still evil, but they're not Vader level of evil. No. They're just complicit in the system, which is the Empire. And I think the, the, not just the choices of the shot, but the choices of the costumes instantly sell you to what's happening you don't really need to know why obviously you find out later but you don't really need to know why these things are happening because it's it's like almost obvious who the the con you know the conflicts between you can you can tell what's going on yeah. so i think that's probably the strength of the film is is the beginning it tells you everything you really need to know at the time and i do think and you know you let you're set up so well and then you're led on this adventure it's just generally when you watch star wars it's such a delight to watch as just a piece of entertainment like you know we can analyze it to death and such 
But like when you look at the bare basic of the plot, like you get it all explained to you at the beginning, you know, you've got the text crawl, you've got that brilliant opening sequence where you don't actually have to be told everything through exposition, which, you know, sometimes exposition dialogue is useful, but others is really not useful at all. It's just kind of clunky and annoying. But in this case, you get a great setup. uh, And then we then just follow before we even meet Mark Hamill's Luke Skywalker. uh, We then we actually get to know a little bit more well we meet obviously Leia to begin with briefly and Darth Vader uh, and like you said C-3PO and R2-D2 but those two the two droids so two uh, robotic characters or droids as they're known in the Star Wars universe uh, we've got C-3PO uh, a human cyborg relations uh, and R2-D2 who literally just communicates through a series of bleeps and bloops and stuff uh, who's very witty in his own way I can't imagine what R2-D2 would be like if he actually spoke to be honest because I know for a fact that in the original idea of Star Wars that George Lucas did have R2-D2 speaking, which would be very interesting, but I don't know, I feel like it would ruin the the sort of the comedic double act that is moments that you share with C-3PO and R2-D2. Because I think if they were just to like argue together in English, I feel like you would lose that that timing between the two of them, that bond. and, that, I, and think, also- I think the, re- the reaction between C-3PO what like we don't know what r2's saying and obviously he does and you hear his reaction of like don't talk to me like that you know um except it's like you can understand the relationship even though you you don't know what he's saying just simply based on the like the overreaction that c3po is always giving to everything r2 says you know yeah. especially with c3po's sort of flamboyant personality as well it yeah. sort of makes it the dynamic even more entertaining as well no it does exactly and it, it contrasts beautifully, I think, with like, I don't know, even though it's fantasy threat, then it really contrasts well with the threat uh, that is at large and this divided scheme of things. So you've got two sides opposed against each other and you've got these two quirky little droids in the middle who are assisting our heroes at the end of the day. It's just such a nice mix of tones, in my opinion. You know, not many people really look at Star Wars in a serious respect, but when we get down back to the plot again, we follow these droids, they get sold on this planet that they get crash-landed on this escape pod, and eventually they will meet our main hero, Luke Skywalker, and obviously the legendary man that is Obi-Wan Kenobi portrayed by Alec Guinness in the original trilogy Uh, and if anyone loves the prequels you will love Ewan McGregor Uh, by the time this goes out I imagine Obi-Wan Kenobi the TV series with Ewan McGregor will be out as well so Obi-Wan fans keep an eye out for that on Disney plus but Alec Guinness's performance is the benchmark for what Obi-Wan stands for as a Jedi master we get to meet this man and this young boy who slowly become that have this bond of apprentice and master in this case and you know teaching him things of this well I mean what lots of people these days consider religion the Jedi will be showing you like the way forward and seeing the light or you know following the force and this mystical power that binds the universe together and all the other explanations that people have brought to the meaning of the force be it just the thing that you use to dispel those annoying droids in episode one or uh, an actual mental state of thinking, which combines the universe together in some sort of harmony. Going back to the main plot of it, though, is the fact that, you know, so we've got these two droids in the centre, you know, we meet all these characters, you know, Obi-Wan, Luke Skywalker, particularly, though, R2-D2, although he does not say anything in English or anything that we can actually understand, he does pose a very important role 
within the film. And that is because he contains the plans for the Death Star, which the Empire have got at their fingertips, which is a big, massive, I mean, in short, it's a very easy way to describe it, but it looks like a moon. It's got a big dish on it and it blows planets up, essentially is the short end of it. It's a very bad explanation there, but it does. It just destroys planets and systems and such. And R2-D2's got the plans for it, including a weak point, which the rebels can use to defeat it. Now, he ends up down on this sandy landscape, marooned with C-3PO, and he ends up getting caught up being sold to, uh, well, in like an auction setting. And Luke eventually finds the pair of them, takes them in. And then the message from Leia about the classic lines, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope, and all the other details and such, which is probably the only real true exposition that you get in the film, really, What's that's that? over the top. You get that there, and it really just says, you know, this is what the plan is, and Luke's going to make it, because Luke is very bouncy and up off the wall, really. He wants to help, he wants to be part of the resistance, that kind of thing. You know, he wants to fight the Empire, but he doesn't really have the means to. But now he has a purpose and a reason to with this message from Princess Leia, and we go with the corny side of it of a oh princess needs saving. We must find this Obi-Wan Kenobi, but I'm gonna make it my job. But yeah, that's the sort of the initial instigation of the journey for Luke Skywalker. And then we obviously he goes out on this adventure. He sort of slowly as the film goes on, he learns how to enhance his power, as it were, which well, he doesn't really know he has it, but you know, he learns the techniques of the Jedi because he wants to know what his father was like. And Obi-Wan's got a close connection to his father. He's got this ambition to be like his father so much and learn so much about him because he's never known him. But then obviously, as we get into Empire, we know that he doesn't really want to know what actually happened to his father because that will emotionally drain him and probably produce what I would argue is one of the funniest and also most intense moments in cinema ever, depending on what opinion you want to look at. But yeah, the rest of the film just sort of goes, all the stepping stones are there where we discover where he may eventually makes his way off world, where he is then met with the classic cinema hero that we know as Harrison Ford's Han Solo, or Han Solo, sorry, and his co-pilot Chewie or Chewbacca, who is a Wookiee. Obviously Han Solo is sort of uh how would you describe him really he's he's a, he's a scoundrel he's, he's a, a scoundrel really he's a, a rogue he i mean well not to get into the changes but he the first time we meet him he's in the middle of a you know after their meeting with him about the ship the next conversation we see is him basically talking about how badass he is to a guy who wants to kill him for money and then he just shoots him point blank in the face Ah, oh, but the question is, who shot who first? Well, that's a special edition change. <laughs> uh, that's <Yes>. definitely. <laughs> yeah, actually, let's bring let's bring that up because we can cover the rest of like some key moments in a minute uh, when we get to the rest of the plot because, the, you know, in New Hope, basically, we end with the good guys went over the bad guys. Again, spoiler alert ahead here, we get to see the heartbreak of Luke Skywalker's journey where he loses his mentor, Obi-Wan Kenobi, to Darth Vader, who literally kills him right in front of him and it's just that sort of ambition of oh my god i've lost my mentor but then when we get to the end of the film we learned that in the world of star wars death is not really a, a thing really it's just something it's like a concept and it's not necessarily something that the jedi are restricted to you know once you're dead that's not it that's not the end of life itself and you know we're introduced to that through force ghosts etc which we can explain a little bit more and talk about in the prequel series because we get to see some of those at hand in some aspects and a little later on as well 
in the sequels. But, you know, we get that heartbreak sort of journey of like gaining a father figure, losing a father figure and not really knowing who his father is until we get to the second installment. Uh, and all the other action-y bits in between with the stormtroopers, lightsaber fights and all that. But the main point that I was going to make, really, if we go back to special edition changes, then we go on to some key moments from the film. Empire Strikes Back actually isn't affected much. It's affected a little bit. but It's, it's affected not... the least out of all three. Yeah, exactly. And then um, the, the first one is probably the one that people will notice the most changes of in the streaming versions, Blu-ray versions, whichever yes. version you've seen, particularly for the CGI enhancements. Like, for instance, on Tatooine, before Luke gets off world, we see all these, like, CGI, very obviously CGI animated animals <laughs> in the background or space animals, creatures in the background who were definitely not there in the originals. Obviously, I've never personally seen it without them because that's the only ones I've ever personally known. And I know the actual despecialized editions, as people have come to know them as, which aren't really an official thing, but it's something that people really are sought after then. People want to find them. And this brings me to my next point, really, Jack, that you want to mention some of the, a couple of key differences in A New Hope specifically. And one of them being the multiple edits and cuts to the shooting scene between Han Solo and Greedo. So, yeah, so in 1997, the original trilogy was re-released with the special edition, where George Lucas went back and added in extra things, reworked some dialogue, some musical cues, even added some of the deleted scenes back into the film. The biggest, well, the most controversial one, should we say, from A New Hope is the scene with, between Han and Greedo in the Mos Eisley Cantina, where in the original, Greedo never fired. Han shoots him point blank in the face before he even gets a chance to shoot Han for the reward. In the special edition, they, they added a wide shot of Greedo missing at point blank range and Han shooting in response about a fraction of a second later. And each special edition that's come out since then in 2004 DVD release, the 2011 Blu-rays and the 2019 Disney Plus versions have all slightly tweaked this scene to make it smoother and slightly better because they added this like weird neck jerk motion to Harrison Ford so that the blaster, it looks like it might have actually hit him in the face if he didn't move his head, but it never really worked. So what they did was in the most recent version, for instance, on Disney Plus, they've removed the extra frames. So it's still as fast as it was in the original, but they've left this like Greedo actually fired his gun. And George's reason for that change was because he wanted there to be a justification for Han shooting Greedo. As if, oh, Han isn't a bad guy. He wouldn't shoot a guy who didn't try and attack him first, which a lot of people think is ridiculous because Greedo was in the middle of talking about how he's looking forward to killing Han Solo for years. Like, that's all the justification you need to shoot the guy. Plus, Han Solo's a rogue. He's a, he's a maverick. He's, you know, he's going to just shoot people. He did, you know, he, there's no justification to shoot anybody else, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know stormtroopers are shooting at you, but still, it's, you know, Han Solo yeah. doesn't hesitate to shoot anybody any, anywhere else in, in the series. Yeah. So why would, he, why would he need justification to kill a bounty hunter? It doesn't make sense. Exactly. It does not make any sense at all. And that's coming from someone, me personally, who's never looked into it that deeply, but only on a certain level. Um, and I just think, yeah, Greedo, yeah, 
Like the, the debate needs to be over, you know. I know George has done his justifications, as you say, but it, it's an ongoing thing that many people, fans, new, old, in between, will constantly be debating from now until eternity until we see the original fully restored versions of the theatrical versions. L- which... Luckily, there are a couple of fan ones going around. Obviously, you mentioned Hermes Despecialized Edition, but there is yes. another one uh, going around, which is called 4K77, uh, mm. which is a upscale of a actual original print of the film. Mm. So, uh, and they're currently, they've also done 83, which is Return of the Jedi. They're currently working on Empire Strikes Back. It's not out yet, but uh, they're actually very difficult to get hold of because you have to join a forum because it's all like unofficial. Yeah. But it's nice to know that fans are still dedicated to giving you the experience of the way the theatre audience got to see it back in the day, which I think is very important to see things the way they actually were, even though not all the special edition changes are bad. There are actually, especially with when, it, when we cover Empire Strikes Back, a lot of the changes done to Empire, I am I agree with. I think they're better. But obviously, you should still be able to see it the way it actually was. Whereas with A New Hope, several scenes are added. Like there's a deleted scene of Jabba the Hutt added back in, mm. where it means that for audiences watching Star Wars for the first time that don't know who Jabba the Hutt is, you don't get to see him until Return of the Jedi, which means you constantly keep hearing, Han has a price on his head put on by Jabba the Hutt. Well, who is this crime lord that wants our hero dead? Mm, yeah, and you never exactly. know who he is. Whereas adding the scene from A New Hope back in, which was originally a human actor that they then CGI'd the hut over the top of, adding that scene back in means that the tension of who is Jabba the Hutt is completely ruined. Exactly. And not to mention that in 1997, when they added the scene in themselves, the CGI that they did for Jabba was awful. Oh, God, now, it was so terrible. Luckily, luckily, it's watchable today on since the Blu-ray version since uh, and the Disney Plus version, where Jabba looks pretty decent, I would say, but it's, it would still be better if they didn't leave that scene in. No, exactly. I 100% agree with you. There's so many differences in that first film that you like. And just taking on from your point, just to sort of go off on to moving on slightly, but connect to what you said about experiencing films just in general as they were originally intended i think in the case of star wars even with a bit of enhancement like you say for empire strikes back but i do think some things should have just been left as they were you know cleaning up for restoration is one thing but then sort of completely altering the original intentions of when it was released to the theater audiences in the 70s the 80s you know it's a very fine line between getting it right and getting it wrong so but that's all i have to say on that one but yeah jack do you want to give us like i get we've sort of talked a little bit around certain scenes and bits about the first film but could you give us a very quick sort of summary of a new hope really in general okay so we've covered up to obi-wan kenobi being introduced to the plot so we obviously went to moss eisley and we were introduced to Han Solo and Chewbacca. After Han shoots Greedo, and Greedo never fires, we then move on to the escape from Mos Eisley. Stormtroopers attack them, and they fly away to, with their destination being Alderaan, which is the planet where Princess Leia comes from. That's where the plans need to be delivered to. During their trip there, the Death Star is used to destroy Alderaan. So when they arrive there, it's just an asteroid field. There's nothing left. It's just debris. They then see a small moon in the distance, which of course is not a small moon. It's the Death Star. And they get tractor beamed in, which is 
so their ship, the Millennium Falcon, which is the ship they're on, is forced to land on the Death Star. They hide themselves underneath. There's like smuggler hatches in the ship. So they hide there and then they trick some stormtroopers into walking back in there and they steal their uniforms. They then go on the hunt to deactivate the tractor beam and escape the Death Star. While there, they realize that Princess Leia is being held there prisoner. So Luke convinces Han, you know, saying that he'll get a nice reward. And of course he is in debt. So he needs the money to save Leia. So they split up from Obi-Wan to go save Leia. After they rescue her, or she sort of helps rescue herself really once they open the door because they don't know what they're doing and the stormtroopers know they're there, they go to make their escape. While they're doing that, Obi-Wan deactivates the tractor beam controls, but he's, his plan is not to return to the ship with Luke, Leia, Han, and Chewie, and the droids. His plan is to face Darth Vader, who is obviously aboard the space station as well. They duel, talk about their past. Vader was a former apprentice of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obviously, we don't know in this film that Vader was Anakin Skywalker. So, you know, Obi-Wan tells Luke, you know, Darth Vader betrayed and murdered your father, which is true from a certain point of view, because Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader. The old Anakin was ceased to exist when he gave in to the power and the lust of the dark side of the force. And betrayed himself ultimately, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which is obviously covered in the prequels. While they do, Obi-Wan sacrifices himself to allow the team to escape, which they do. They travel to the Reb the hidden rebel base on the planet Yavin 4 with a tracker unfortunately aboard their ship, which means the Death Star can follow them there. And obviously their plan is to destroy the rebel base and destroy the rebellion. They use the plans within R2-D2 to discover a weakness, which is established in the spin-off Rogue One to be a, like a purposeful thing that was installed into the space station, which if you hit the reactor in a certain way, the whole space station blows up. So after, use, after finding that plans, Luke and joins the rebel alliance in their small spaceships to attack the Death Star and shoot a torpedo into the exhaust port that will trigger the explosion of the Death Star. Han chooses to leave, obviously to Luke's dismay because he thought Han had changed and grown as a person, but Han decided that, you know, what's, you know, he even says, what's the point of a reward if you ain't around to use it? So he decides to leave with the money and leave the rebels to their fate, essentially. During the Death Star attack, which is definitely the, like, visually amazing, Obviously, they change it in the special edition, add CGI ships to it, but it's still very good. Do basically, World War II dogfights in space. And during that battle, a lot of the characters that were just recently introduced, a lot of the pilots get killed off, including, which was added back in to a special edition deleted scene, Biggs Darklier, which is Luke's childhood friend, which gets, he gets killed by Darth Vader in his own ship during the trench run, which is the climax of the film. During the trench run, Luke is the final X-Wing left, the final pilot left. And Vader is sensing the force within Luke because Luke is hearing Obi-Wan's voice in his head through the force saying, you know, trust your feelings. So he switches off his targeted computer in his ship and decides to take the shot, just reaching out with the force. And he succeeds and the Death Star blows up ending with big fanfare and just before Vader was going to shoot Luke because um, he had him in his sights, in his targets, uh, his one of his wingmen, TIE fighters, that's following uh, behind him gets shot, which causes a crash. And it turns out that Han uh, returned in the Millennium Falcon to save Luke because it turns out he genuinely did care 
So the film ends with the Death Star blowing up and a nice ceremony. Han and Luke are both given, I can't remember what the, the medal's called. I think it's the Republic Medallion of Honor or something like that, which is the highest honor that the old Republic would bestow upon a hero. And so that's how the film ends with the rebels all very happy that they defeated the Empire and obviously saved their own lives because otherwise their planet would have been blown up. Yeah. Um, which then leads into The Empire Strikes Back as yeah, the next film. It does. And um, it, it's really weird because Star Wars or Star Wars and New Hope ends in such a way that you think that could have been just it. That's it. Simple, yes. you know, really great epic space adventure, single story. Good, good, good. But then the thing with it is we do get this continuing universe. There's this sequel, which in my opinion and lots of people's opinions is probably the best of them really and it's one of my favorites personally before we move on to empire strikes back and return of the jedi i think just to agree with you the ending of a new hope is probably one of the best sort of most epic moments in cinema with or without cgi inserts the blowing up of the death star i think it's just a great culmination for you know luke's character journey and you know his belief in himself and the belief that he can make his way forward in this universe even though his mentor is now gone but he's not gone he will always be with him kind of thing and you know it's just a grand epic space scene really to be fair you know big massive explosion what more can you ask for so you know i love that bit so yeah but moving on to empire strikes back like you say the story continues and in empire strikes back we we don't pick up from where we left off exactly a little bit of time has passed so I believe it's three years later. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Empire Strikes Back was released officially on May the 6th in 1980. Uh, however, the that was like its earliest screening, but its uh, official release is the 20th of May, which is actually Empire Day. It just so happened to fall on the same day. So a lot of people, even in Star Wars, Empire Day is used to describe the day that the Empire was declared, which obviously happens during Revenge of the Sith. So a lot of people sell on the 20th of May. There's a lot of obviously celebrations It's May, in May. You've got May the 4th be with you. You've got Re Revenge of the 5th or 6th. A lot of people prefer the 6th as well. But with the 20th of May, that's Empire Day. Um, so that's a fun thing because obviously it's named after, well, it was originally a British thing about the British Empire, but it's mostly named after these days, the Empire Strikes Back, because people used to just refer to Empire Strikes Back as, like, if, if you ask someone, have you seen Empire? You, d you wouldn't need to say the rest of the title. So a lot of people associate with, like, they call the original, they used to call the original Star Wars, obviously. And then when Empire Strikes Back came out, I was like, oh, you know, Empire. People used to just do abbreviate. It's a bit like Return of the Jedi gets abbreviated to just Jedi. Yeah. Like, have you seen Jedi? It's, it's done like that. Yeah, no, exactly. The, the, the difference with Empire Strikes Back, though, is unlike A New Hope, A New Hope was directed and written by George Lucas. Back. Yeah. Whereas Empire Strikes Back, the story is by George Lucas, but the screenplay is by Lawrence Castan and somebody else. And it was directed by um, Ivan Kirshner and produced by Gary Kurtz. Obviously, the cast returns from A New Hope. You've got Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker again. You've got Harrison Ford as Han Solo, uh, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, Kenny Baker, R2-D2, David Prowse returns as Darth Vader with, obviously, the voice by James Old Jones, Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca. But you've got a few new pe faces in Empire Strikes Back. You've got 
Billy D. Williams as Lando Calrissian, which oh, yes. is a very important character in Empire Strikes Back and later Hon- Return of the Jedi. Honestly. Yeah, honestly, he Frank, is... Frank Oz as Yoda as well. So, like, I think those two, for me, yeah, out of the new additions, you know, Yoda and Lando, those are ultimately... I mean, even, you know, even though I appreciate the whole trilogy, Lando and Yoda are literally my two favourite characters from the original trilogy, because, you know, like... Luke's the main character. Carrie Fisher's, you know, Princess Leia's the main character. You know, they're all main characters. And I love um, Han Solo as well. You know, Han Solo, I think out of the that trio is my favourite. But I think Yoda and Lando, even though they're not massively like the centre of every single film, they're only really, I mean, Lando's in like Empire and <laughs> Return of the Jedi. The two, yeah. yeah, they're just only in the two. But I think because of the impact they make in that original trilogy, you get that sense of... And also the fact that Lando's so, like... I don't want to say multifaceted, but he's you know, a very interesting character in the sense that he's not just there for, like, oh, he's an old friend of Han Solo's, which he is. But then he turns on them as, you know, we get through the film. He turns on them and turns them into the Empire because he has a deal be careful that the deal is not altered again. <laughs> I pray it's not altered again. If anyone loves Robot Chicken, you'll understand that reference. But like yeah, that little joke about um, deals being altered. Uh, but yeah, yes. I wearing just... the dress and bonnet and the unicycle. <laughs> it's like, pray I do not alter the deal again. Um, that's my worst James L. Jones impression. But no, seriously, I. But then he becomes a friend again, and you know he helps him out in the end. And obviously he goes on to join them in Return of the Jedi. And we do get to see him in the sequel trilogy as well in the final film. So, you know, Lando, for some people, he's a great big fan favorite, really, because he's such an interesting character from that perspective. And also, you know, you get to see another version of him if you've watched the Star Wars Star Wars story solo you get to see a younger version of Lando played by is it Donald Glover I want to say off the top of my head yeah Donald Glover you know and you get to see that sort of ragtag friendship between Han Solo and Lando Calrissian you get to see them as friends slash frenemies or whatever you want to call them so you know I think Lando's a very interesting character to look at and Yoda is obviously the little mini legend that is Yoda, the Jedi Master, that maybe even is ever so slightly more advanced than Obi-Wan ever will be. The difference between the original Star Wars and Empire is the 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 last film ended on a massive rebel victory. But of course, the secret base was now discovered. So they obviously left that to a new one, which ended up being on the ice planet of Hoth, which is where we begin the film. Of course, the Empire discovers where they are. And the opening of the film is the attack on the rebel base where the empire wins essentially empire strikes back is all about the rebels being downtrodden and losing the entire film which obviously begins with the attack on echo base at the beginning of the film but also has lando's betrayal involved uh han solo's later uh capture um and you know freezing in carbonite with the bounty hunter boba fett played by jeremy bullock and Luke's final, well, first on-screen duel with Darth Vader, which obviously ends with not only the reveal that Vader was Luke's father, but also Luke gets his right arm amputated. So it's a very dark film. A lot, a lot of people would describe it as the darkest of the original films because it's all about the rebels being the downtrodden rebels that they are. The Empire has near limitless resources. And their, if their mission is kill the rebels, capture Luke Skywalker they're going to do that. And obviously Vader, as Luke's father, has personal stakes in the capture of Luke because 
he could team up with Luke to destroy the Emperor and then rule the galaxy themselves. The Emperor is obviously first seen in Empire Strikes Back. The original is very weird. They used, I think, I believe it was a woman with a mask and they put chimpanzee eyes over the top, which obviously uh, looked pretty odd. Obviously, it was in a hooded figure speaking to Vader and you're going, well, who's this mysterious hooded elderly, slightly off-looking person that Vader is subservient to because we're so used to seeing Vader in the power position where everyone's scared of him. And yet Vader kneels before this person. In 2004, they were filming Revenge of the Sith and they got um, the actor for the Emperor, uh, Ian, to re-record that scene with a few extra lines because obviously Ian played the Emperor officially when he shows up in person in Return of the Jedi and then reprised his role for the prequels. So they decided we'll redo that scene and add a few things because that's that was a special edition change that I'm in favor of, for instance, with Empire yeah. Strikes Back yeah, because yeah. the scene is better and they name drop Anakin, which is not said until Return of the Jedi. Mm. So it's a bit it's a bit um, jarring when Luke in Return of the Jedi traditionally says, you know, I recognize you were once Anakin Skywalker and my father. We're thinking like, well, how did he know that he was called Anakin? Because Obi-Wan only said your father in A New Hope and in Empire Strikes Back, it was referred to the same way. Mm. So I like that they actually established with the Emperor saying, you know, I have no doubt this boy is the offspring of Anakin Skywalker, which is never said in the original cut. It's, uh, yeah. it's just, you know, we, we have a new enemy, Luke Skywalker. Yeah, that's you know, it's that's it. You know, I think that that's the thing. And going on to like the changes with the special editions, and you and like you, I'm very much in favor of that one because not not just from a visual perspective, because obviously it looked. I have seen the footage of that original uh, Emperor, and it's very weird. It's very odd. <laughs> I don't quite know. You know, obviously it's it was the early late seventies, early eighties. They made this since you know you you can't really judge it. You know, you've got to sort of go by what they had access to and what they thought was going to be good. But I do think you know it's an improvement on the visual to have Ian McDermott in it, and also good for continuity with obviously the fact he was the actual Emperor in the final uh, episode or installment of the original saga. And then obviously then, like you say, bringing him back for further roles. So, you know, it enhances that continuity of character uh, and visual character as well. But I do think that, you know, like you say, it's the little extra bits in Empire that really cement it as a really good film. Like the film was good enough on its own, but with those little tiny little tweaks here and there, it makes it even better. Uh, and sort of going away from the special edition stuff, I personally, you mentioned the first ever lightsaber fight in person, lightsaber fight with Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. That's a brilliant, like their silhouettes. That's such a good image for me. I love that image of them. It's a great scene. Yeah. You know, it's so good, you know, and it's done with such conviction. And like you say, this film is much darker than the other two. So, and, and it's visually darker as well as thematically darker. So, you know, I think while Star Wars was a great, A New Hope was a great fun introduction to the universe and, you know, adventures in space and stuff, this one really hits it hard. And obviously, like you say, there's the I am your father moment. Um, I want to bring up that moment, actually, because obviously everyone talks about it. But the one thing that I personally uh, like to mock slightly, probably to many Star Wars fans annoyance and maybe yours as well. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, I am your father. It's fine. It's all good. But it, the bit that I get is how much of a crybaby Mark Hamill looks like. I get I get the intention behind the acting, but it's my one bit of Star Wars acting that I always 
find myself chuckling at because of the way he's just like screwed up his face and you know, well, I know, I know, I know. He's just had his arm cut off. Don't get me wrong, but like, I'm just there, like, oh my god, it's not possible. You know, I, I just think it, it, it sits its purpose perfectly in the film, and he's doing a good job and everything. But on, on the other hand, I do like to have a good chuckle because you know, it's like, oh my god, it's so melodramatic. But you kind of believe it though, because the melodrama. This brings me to my next point and finishing it off the melodramatic acting on that respect, it works with the fact that he's just found out who his, who his father is. The fact his father's not dead. The fact his father is now his greatest enemy um, in some respects. Uh, and the fact that, you know, he's really peed because of the fact that his arm's just getting chopped off. <laughs> so, but, you know, like, I don't know, Mark Hamill acting masterclass right there on how to dramatically channel your emotions from losing an arm and gaining a parent but also losing a parent <laughs> fun fact about that scene is when they originally shot it the line because david prouse is in the vader suit yes um, he is. and obviously james Earl jones they add his voice in afterwards mm -hmm. and just before the, the, the script of that scene is actually the line obi-wan killed your father that's what david prouse said on set and the only people that knew the real line was George, Evan Kirshner, and Mark Hamill, and uh, obviously when he went to record, James Earl Jones. Just before the scene was filmed, they took Mark aside and said, the real line is going to be, no, I am your father. So we want your reaction to be a little bit more because that's the revelation. So obviously it still worked. Everyone on set assumed, oh, He's obviously reacting to the fact that the, per the man he admired and has essentially followed in the footsteps of killed his father and lied to him, whereas the truth was much worse. It was that this man, you, the, the, you, you've been told not only are you following the Obi-Wan's footsteps, but you were obviously trying to emulate your father and you were told he was a great Jedi Knight and you want to be just like him because you never had a relationship with him. And then you find out oh my God, the mat, the footsteps I am following, who I thought I knew, leads to what is in front of me. You know, the worst thing in the galaxy until he meets the emperor, the most evil man in the galaxy that wants me and my friends dead, who has tortured my friends, killed my friends, is my father. I mean, it's not just the, the fact that Obi-Wan essentially lied to him about it in that scene with, with Mark's reaction, as you said, but it's also, think about it this way, Vader personally killed a lot of the X-Wing pilots at the end of A New Hope, including Biggs Darklighter, which was Luke's childhood best friend. So it's not just you killed Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's you killed Obi-Wan, you've killed hundreds of probably thousands of rebel members, you killed my best friend, you tortured Leia on the Death Star, or at least gave the orders to torture her. During the course of this film, they torture Han Solo. Not because uh, one of the lines is, uh, it's like, what, what, what questions did they ask? And he's like, they didn't ask me any questions. They simply just tortured him. They, they, it wasn't even interrogation. It was just, we're going to torture you for being a rebel. And those are the things that Vader during the course of just these two films has done to not just Luke personally, but his, the people he has strong bonds with and to discover that that was, that's your father with the, with the, seen in Dagobah in the force cave that we see with Yoda after Luke has a vision of fighting 
Vader and the mask blows and it reveals Luke's face underneath. It's a haunting vision of if you don't control your emotions, if you allow your passions to rule you and to start giving in to the dark side of the force, you will end up like Vader because that is what happened to Vader. But I think that the revelation is obviously the climax of the film. Yeah. And it, it piles on all that stuff. And it does, obviously, in the original, we hadn't seen that even knew who Biggs was, for instance, like I said, because it was a special edition add-back-in scene. Yeah, exactly. But still, but still, you know that, at least to your knowledge, even at the time in 1980, that Vader's an evil person. We've seen him kill his own men in this movie. Yeah. Force chokes Imperial officers for making minor mistakes. Yeah, he literally has no qualms about that whatsoever. Yeah. And uh, then Luke's like, oh, that guy's my father. <laughs> be like, hey, dad. <laughs> oh, God. No, but yeah, truly, you can talk about that moment for so, so much, like forever in a day. Other things I would say as well. So the I am your father moment, it's a big moment. Um, You talk about, obviously, that's the climax of the film. The film is very, I'll talk about the ending of Empire Strikes Back before we then move on to the return of the Jedi. Uh, and it's something I actually like about the Empire Strikes Back is because of the fact that, we get such a joyous, very harmonious ending in A New Hope. Uh, and it's like everyone's all happy and, you know, the bad guys have been defeated, you know, obviously. But, you know, generally the world is a better, the universe is a better place now because the good guys have saved the day. This one, it's kind of strange because it gives you a, a sense of that ending shot as well, where, you know, Luke's arm's been fixed by a droid in a med bay and, he, and you know, him... And you get C-3PO, R2-D2, you know, get the whole gang, apart from obviously Han Solo, who's, he's actually, you know, he's frozen in carbonite, been taken away to Jabba the Hutt by Boba Fett. And literally, you know, there's that sense of they're looking out into space, into the galaxy. A sense of hope is there, but a sense of dread as well, because so much has been lost, yet there's still a lot to gain. And I feel like the stakes at the end of, empire are much more than the ones at the end of a new hope a new hope it literally you can end the saga right there you can just end in one film whereas empire strikes back you clearly know that something more is going to happen because you know like you know han solo's gone they're going to have to save him they know they can save him kind of thing and you got that kind of uh, some people would say cringy moment but the bit between leia and han where they're like, I'll come and find you, you know, all that, you know, the romance stuff of it all. But, you know, the sense that there will be a continuation of that story. And that ending shot where you just look at the backs of the characters against the space backdrop. And you're thinking, yeah, we're going out there. We're going to get him. It's going to be good. And it's quite clearly going to lead into something else, whereas the other one didn't. Uh, and I think that's what, for me personally, because I enjoyed Return of the Jedi for so many reasons because of the way it, so it finished off the unfinished business then of empire strikes back because like you say at the beginning jack empire strikes back is basic it's the darker film and the empire are taking control and it's you know stomping all over the rebel alliance and everyone that we know and love you know everyone's been downtrodden whereas you know return of the jedi i mean it could have been called return of the rebels uh, probably a terrible title but you could have you know everybody comes back and bounces back from the darkness that we found in that second film, which ultimately is my favourite film of the original trilogy. Personally, I don't know about you. I think you have said before that it is one that it is your favourite at times. I know you have different moments, but mm. what would you say? Um, so I have all three films. I go back and forth because I like I love all of them. 
it depends on what mood I'm in. I, I would say that Empire Strikes Back is the best film overall. So I would rate it higher. But if I was going to sit down and watch one, I would probably sooner put on A New Hope just because it's a complete story. So I don't need to like, I don't feel like I need to keep watching. Whereas if I watch Empire Strikes Back, I feel like I need to then, you know, put Return of the Jedi on. Yeah, <laughs> well, I exactly. Want I want to continue the story. Not that I don't want to continue it when I watch A New Hope, but at least A New Hope is... A nice bookend. It has a nice um, ending to it. Yeah, no, but exactly. Before we do move on to Return of the Jedi, I will mention one thing from Empire Strikes Back that is another famous scene, which is before Han Solo is frozen, and that's the I love you, I know scene yes that one so yes you've got in this scene the whole movie we've been teased with uh han uh, a potential relationship between han and leia even with like obviously he teases her and calls it calls her your worship because she's a princess um but even like you know because leia asked him to stop calling her that and even stops he just starts calling her leia and i think that's the beginning of them like of leia going okay you know and they start getting closer, and obviously he's trying to put, make the moves on her. He's, you know, he's a scoundrel. He's, you know, a rogue. He's got his charms or whatever. But the whole movie, it's like, will they, won't they? And then now, Han is being taken from Leia, potentially to die, because there was no guarantee that his freezing would put him in stasis. It might have killed him. And they do their final kiss, and then he gets dragged away, and she says, I love you. And, ha and Han doesn't respond with, I love you too, which is actually what the line was. Harrison Ford said that's not Han Solo's character. He wouldn't say that. Yeah. So they changed it to I know. Yeah. So it was, it was the acknowledgement that Han's been teasing her the whole film about you've got feelings for me and all that. And she denied it. And when she finally admits it, he's essentially saying, well, I already knew that, even though it's very nice for her to say. He, yeah. know, he, he knew that you loved him and he accepts that like he's happy to know that before he potentially dies mm. which is a which i think is a very well it makes i think it's what makes the scene more memorable i think the, yeah the, the, the i love you too would have been a little bit cringe. fine but it would have been like a little bit cringy memorable it would have yeah been, okay well yeah of course he does it know? would have been very cringy and very i think predictable i feel like because that's the sort of thing that in most films with a romance element you get this sense of when someone says i love you normally the response is I love you too, or something to that effect. Whereas, you know, if you got someone that who's very cocksure of themselves, like Han Solo, I know is the perfect response, really. And the John Williams score as well that's played along with that, it just makes that moment even more like, you know, it's not the sort of thing that I would tear up at, but it's the sort of thing that like you're rooting for. It's the sort of thing that you not cheer at, but you kind of get that sense of, oh yeah, you know, you really sort of like, hmm cool this is great but i don't know it's a great mixture of you know the music the visual and that line dialogue change that I, little I, tiny change made it really to be honest didn't yeah it? i think it's a nice it's a nice payoff because what it also does it makes you want to watch return of the jedi even more because when they fail to recapture han and he gets taken away the not only do you want to know like will luke confront vader again now you know that's the main driving of the story but the other thing is we now that we know that Han and Leia, you know, have feelings for each other, confirmed they're going to be together. The minute that was confirmed, he was taken from her, and so now we want them to reunite for Leia's sake because we care about her character. We obviously want Han to be safe, but it's for Leia. You know, her the her the love of her life has just been taken from her. 
Yeah. Um, and I think that that's obviously the obviously going into Return of the Jedi. That's why the beginning is the rescue of Han Solo is because that's what we want. Yeah. That's what we need to to start the story off. It's Luke wouldn't go. Oh, I'm going to deal with Vader first. It'd be no. I'm rescuing my friend. Yeah. No. And exactly. I think that's, that's what was important about that one. Yeah. No. I'm moving in, as you say, and we will segue nicely into Return of the Jedi, like you say. So we open up with this, you know, just to begin the summary, really. I'll let you talk a little bit about it as well. But we open up with basically, essentially, the same premise that we've had in the other two films. And I think with all Star Wars films to a degree, where you actually start with the action. You don't go brooding boringness of like, you can just focus on a character or you can focus on a setting or something. You go straight into action. And I feel like, Return of the Jedi really just hits back at you. Obviously, it came out three years after Empire was commercially released, and everyone's been waiting to see if all these questions that you just posed, will they be answered? Will this happen? Who is anyone else going to die? You know, is Luke going to lose another arm? No, that's not really a question they'd ask. Um, <laughs> but I think that everyone was really excited in anticipation. The fact that they, in a way, picked up from where they left off very much straight away and they went straight in dive deep into this rescue mission uh i think it was the right move to do because really they could have just uh, there was many ways they could have done it really they could have done it very quickly or they could have dragged it out and left the rescue of han solo to be part of the middle of the film as one potential idea but then i feel like you wouldn't get that sort of service then to the story you wouldn't feel like it was a continuing story you'd feel like Han Solo was just an add-on and you think his character after all that development of the past two films wouldn't really matter if you just inserted that rescue mission into the middle as part of the body of the plot and plus you need his character as well later on because of the way he is and obviously the battle on Endor and all that stuff that happens later in the plot with our favorite furry friends the Ewoks <laughs> oh god the Ewoks the, that's the one thing out of Return of the Jedi before you tell us more about it the Ewoks stand out to me from Return of the Jedi along with one special edition change um, which is the addition of Hayden Christensen as a force ghost at the end of the film and it's not that we didn't have Anakin Skywalker at the end of the film we did but we just didn't get Hayden Christensen. But again, that's a bit like Ian McDiarmid. They added in something to connect the universes together and make it more cohesive. Um, but yeah, Jack, give us just a very quick summary of like the events. Like I've just said, we go to the rescue of um, Han Solo uh, from Jabba the Hutt. He's in the hands of Jabba the Hutt. And we get to see a bit more of Boba Fett as well, who we met in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, and it sort of continues from there, the rescue mission from that point on. So, yes, obviously the film, just before the rescue begins, because obviously each character is introduced one at a time, we are, it, I think the film tricks you into thinking this is going to be like A New Hope, because the opening is in space as normal, with Vader's introduction and the reveal of a second Death Star. But it's uh, it, all it does is set up the stakes of the film. There's a second Death Star. That's going to be the threat of the film. And then it cuts straight to, well, here's what you want to know, which is what's happened to Han Solo. And then we get to see the Jabba the Hutt and the, the palace of Jabba the Hutt, which is a very creepy place. It's like a, a, old, a monastery-like building. And obviously Jabba, you think, oh, this crime lord, it's going to be some like 
badass gangster looking guy or something and it's not it's a giant slug monster that everyone just listens to and obeys and obviously holds so much power and it's a it's it's, uh, it's sort of it subverts your expectations but in a good way where you think wait that's the big that's the threat that Han Solo was running from a just a big slug but it's the it's the influence of the Hutt family and Jabba himself that makes the galaxy move or at least the parts of the galaxy that aren't ruled by the empire like Tatooine and you see all the characters be introduced you have Leia make an attempt to sneak in in her uh, Bausch disguise she disguises herself as a bounty hunter um which almost works she frees Han from the carbonite unfortunately they're caught and Han is imprisoned alongside Chewbacca who Leia had fake imprisoned to get into the palace and Leia is made the replacement because Jabba has always has like a chained slave up for some reason to dance for him or whatever and Leia is the replacement because earlier in the film the Twi'lek Ula was killed because she tried to you know use the chain to strangle Jabba which obviously didn't work and she got killed we then get the reveal of Luke Skywalker now this is my favorite bit of that whole sequence is Luke enters the doorway and you see the sun behind him. He's in silhouette, he's in shadow. The guards come in front of him. They cross their axes, not allowing him to pass. And he appears to force choke them as, it, as Vader would, uh, which obviously makes you think, oh, what's happened to Luke? You know, what's he been doing? He's, he's dressed in all black as well and his hood's up. He looks like a potentially evil character now. And he's making big threats to Jabba about you don't underestimate my power and, and things like that. Then we get the reveal of the Rancor, which is a great stop motion creature that they had, which Jabba keeps to kill and eat people. And uh, luckily Luke escapes that by closing the Rancor's cage door on top of it, which crushes the creature and allows Luke to survive that. They then get taken out into the desert, which is where we meet the Sarlacc pit, which is this big pit in the desert that swallows and eats people and then digests you over a thousand years apparently like keeps you alive or something over the course of a thousand years so you can live through the pain of being digested but during that scene before luke jumps in r2d2 launches a new lightsaber into the air because in empire strikes back luke lost his father's old lightsaber when his hand was cut off so between the, I think it's one year between Empire and Return and Jedi, Luke has constructed a new, now green lightsaber for himself. Oh yes, in classic good guy fashion. Which, uh, <laughs> which not only has a cool, unique sound to it as well, which was unique to it when it came out, but also it was the first green lightsaber ever on screen. Yes. Which is only green because the blue sky of the Tatooine desert made the blue lightsaber almost invisible. Yeah. All you would see would be the white beam in the middle. You wouldn't see the color. So they decided, well, we can do green instead. Yeah. Which uh, you, you can actually see uh, the original trailer for Return of the Jedi back when it was called Revenge of the Jedi, which was yes. its original title. Mm. There is an old teaser trailer you can find if you can look it up on YouTube. It's and even on, um, in that yeah. clip is blue. Yeah, it's even actually for anyone, any um, Blu-ray addicts or collectors or anything, if you have recently purchased the complete Skywalker saga on Blu-ray, the nine movie set that came out 
black box which has got a picture of the death star on it there is a bonus feature you can add the trailer itself that jack is referring to and again it's on youtube as well but if you've got the blu-ray it is on the blu-ray bonus disc for return of the jedi uh the trailer where it actually says revenge of the jedi teaser trailer uh, and it actually says they the guy with the voiceover says revenge of the jedi uh which shows the sort of direction they were going in initially when they were titling it interestingly uh when they changed the name to it because obviously during the production of the film they called it blue harvest was what was written on all the crew shirts and stuff so that people didn't think it was star wars yeah but the um after they changed it to return of the jedi they didn't tell anybody Mm. uh even in toy manufacturing and the reason they did that initially was you to spot fake merchandise so if you went to the shops and saw something that said Revenge of the Jedi, it was fake. Ah, so, yes. they, they, so that was an interesting effect of the change was you'd be able to spot fake ripoff merchandise because there wasn't a single piece of official uh, merchandise that was that said Revenge of the Jedi. Only the knockoff stuff said it. So that also helped with the toy sales because people would see what it was much easier to, to see what was fake yeah um so that was good as well i'll I'll continue obviously after han after they escape the sarlacc and leia kills jabba the hut we then move on to luke returning to dagobah which is where yoda was to ask him personally is darth vader my father it could be a lie he's holding out that it was a lie this was also done because children was it was believed that children would not believe a bad guy telling something true without a hero character confirming it was true so that's why yoda confirms you know your father he is he also confirms that there's another skywalker which then reveals that luke and leia are actually twins and they were split up at birth um, to protect them from vader and the emperor so that's another that's another like quick reveal that's done as well with luke talking to the ghost of obi-wan asking why didn't you tell me why did you lie to me and obviously, Obi-Wan tries to justify his actions by saying, well, you know, for your own protection and the protection of your sister, you know, I didn't tell you the truth. He then returns to the rebel fleet with Han, Leia, Chewie, and the C-3PO and R2-D2, where they travel to Endor, which is where the second Death Star is, to deactivate the shield generator that protects the new space station because it orbits the planet, the forest moon of Endor. While there, they meet the Ewoks that you've already mentioned, which are little, like, teddy bear creatures they get split up there's a cool speeder bike chase as well and essentially luke surrenders to vader which is which i will say is my one of my favorite scenes from uh return of the jedi is the conversation between vader and luke after his capture where vader like takes the lightsaber and turns it on compliments his training and stuff but luke is saying you know i feel the conflict within you come with me and and Vader says it's too late for me, son. You know, so you can see the 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 thread of Anakin in there, yeah. where Vader's Vader's essentially the, the the dark side of the Force does have quite the hold on you. That's the way it works. It works like a drug. But you can see he's already given up. Yeah, that he can he can't have a normal life. This is all he has now. And it makes me laugh as well. Actually, as well, it's actually quite interesting that we have Darth Vader 
uh, such a character progression. We go from he's plain basic evil in the first film. He's still he's even more evil in the second one. But then he opens up a bit more. We get the I am your father moment and you get that connection to our hero. But then it's almost like, I know, slowly but surely as we get to the third film, he's wound down completely and it's just like, yeah, I'm evil. Yeah, I want to take over the universe. And yes, I'm subservient to this old scrotum that is the emperor. Uh, but uh, <laughs> basically with lightning, ultimate power, which we will get to back in another episode. Uh, but I just think, you know, you can tell that it's taken, it's, that it's a good character progression showing that he's been like degraded so much. He's been taken to the dark side so harshly that he's even starting to lose himself not just like you know as a good man that he used to be or a good kid as he used to be when we first meet him in the prequels but like he's slowly losing everything about him in favor of the emperor and he's doing everything for the emperor but now he's suddenly starting to get to this point where he's getting the realization that he's not the man who he once was but now he's obviously got this whole thing of like luke knows that he is his father so it's kind of that i don't know whether they tried to do it deliberately bring in the fact that he's the you know he's a parent figure and that luke knows that he has parentage still well, it is it is actually deliberate what george's comment on uh uh the uh on the series is that we are redeemed by our children so that your mistakes your uh teachings are continued by your kids but they learn from your mistakes and you are redeemed by your children your children in theory will live a better life than you because you made the mistakes so they don't have to and so that's the story of anakin skywalker and, and luke skywalker is mm -hmm. that vader made these mistakes he gave into the power the quick and easy path of the dark side yeah for selfish reasons uh, for himself and then he lost everything and as we see in Return of the Jedi when you know Luke does give in to the dark side and defeat Vader in their duel but when Rila, after cutting Vader's arm off he looks at his own prosthetic hand and realizes I'm already walking down this path you know Yoda warned me once you start down the dark path forever will it dominate your destiny He's already seeing it. We saw him use for the force choke ability earlier in the film as well. He's yeah. already using the force to make life easier. He's already giving in to emotion and anger to make life easier. Yeah. But unlike Anakin and unlike nearly every other Jedi who's turned to the dark side in both canon and legends, the he turns around to the Emperor when he says, you know, take your father's place at my side. And he turns his lightsaber off. He throws it to the ground and says, "No, you know he's he's, mm. you know, he's a Jedi like his father before him. You you know he's not going to fight anymore. Of yeah. course, he's then instantly electrocuted with no defense weapon. Yeah. But that scene in particular, I, I would say probably my favorite scene from Return of the Jedi is the redemption of Vader. Yeah, redemption is definitely saved, good. Where he hand. picks up the Emperor and saves Luke's life. The problem, which brings up the special editions, is in i believe it was 2011 this change was made yeah. with the blu-rays is that during this scene in the original vader you know luke is being tortured on the floor and he's going father please help me and screaming while being electrocuted by the emperor because the emperor has obviously the force lightning powers and vader looks to his son looks at the emperor looks back to his son 
and then looks to the Emperor and picks him up and then throws him down the reactor shaft. It was a completely silent, obviously you had the music, but it was a silent redemption. You could see on this masked character that you never see his face until afterwards, which we'll get to, this character, you saw the, um, the conflict that Luke described Vader having. You know, that's my son, and my son is going to die, and I now have a choice to make. Yeah. You know, is life worth living knowing that I allowed my son to die? Yeah. And I, is it better that I allow my son to live and kill myself as well as this great evil to save my son's life? That still works in the, it's in the Blu-ray and Disney Plus version. Unfortunately, they added in Vader going, no, and then going, no, when he Wait. picks the Emperor. And then what's annoying is, is that the minute he says no, you're telling me the Emperor wouldn't have heard that and gone, what are you saying? Yeah, you know, no. it doesn't make sense. He's not saying it internally; he's saying it out loud. People joke about the no scene at the end of Revenge, Revenge of the, of the Sith. Sith. <laughs> where it sounds a bit ridiculous, but that adding that into Return of the Jedi is probably the worst change of Return of the Jedi for me. Is that the redemption being silent was perfect? It's not yeah. just because it was done first. I think that the no ruins logic in that scene why would he say no out loud which would alert the emperor the emperor that could by the way also kill vader very easily why would he give the emperor the ability to predict the betrayal yeah it kind of it really simplifies it to like a really basic level like because like you just said you've explained it very eloquently very well um the fact that it's got so much depth to it when there's nothing said at all it's like we go back to a new hope and you said like that opening sequence, the opening sequence, it's so simple and so effective because there's no dialogue. You understand everything with very little dialogue at all. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, we add, even though it's just one utterance of no, it, it does, it kills the mood. It kills the vibe of it all completely and kills any sort of credibility that you could have had uh, in the original instance of the scene. Obviously, everyone who loves the prequels will probably be like, oh, my God, it matches the no. But, you know, when you think about it on a serious level, it doesn't do it the original intention as we would see it justice. And I do agree with you on that point. Um, but just to sort of pick pace up on this bit, though. So we have that conflict and the redemption of Vader. And like you say, the Emperor gets killed and the Death Star ultimately this Death Star, the second one, which is a little bit more of a shell of the last one. It's like broken up in peace towards this one side of, of the globe or the, this moon shape that it is the same, but just a little bit broken, uh, but meant to be slightly better and slightly bigger than the last one. Uh, still on the planet destruction warpath. Uh, we have all the stuff going on down on Endor, the Battle of Endor. You know, we have classic Stormtrooper fights, Han Solo, Leia, all those characters coming together as well. Uh, and obviously there's the threat of whether Luke is going to make it off the Death Star before it gets blown up. And, and obviously whether, whether um, Lando and Wedge and the rest of the Rebel fleet can succeed in destroying the Death Star. Exactly. Uh, and then, on, yeah, obviously, because we're going to tell you this anyway, it, they do succeed. Everything is happy. It's very much like a return to A New Hope where you end with a sense of closure and you don't feel like the story is going to continue, unlike Empire Strikes Back. You know, the Rebels win, the Empire falls, the Death Star is destroyed, 
and Vader's obviously ultimately dies and the Emperor is gone at the hands of Vader. But we get that sense of closure that Vader did right in the end, even though he chose the dark path in his so, younger years. Yeah, we get the, before the Death Star explodes, we get a nice scene between Luke and Vader where Vader uh has his mask removed so we can see the man underneath now that was sebastian shaw who plays uh anakin in this moment which actually an irritated david prowse the actual actor for darth vader that's been wearing the suit in all three movies because he thought well if the helmet ever comes off it's going to be me right but they uh they decided they decided no they they would get someone else and that scene was actually filmed secretly without his knowledge which is uh, a bit so of a pain. <laughs> he used to refer to Return of the Jedi as the worst film experience he ever had because of that betrayal. Yeah. Um, but the scene itself is very nice. Uh, the the another special edition change they did was they uh, changed Sebastian's eyes to be more blue because I believe they're green naturally. They removed his eyebrows because when obviously in Revenge of the Sith, Anakin's hair is burned off, so the eyebrows would be permanently gone as well. And they also made his skin slightly more pale. Um, so that wasn't, it makes sense for a special edition change because obviously if Anakin had blue eyes, then they should still be blue. Uh, they wouldn't just change color. So they, it makes sense. And having the scars match better with Revenge of the Sith also helps with continuity. Yeah, it does. Which yeah. And brings us on to what you mentioned where they replaced, because they had Sebastian Store as uh, a Force ghost. Of, of Anakin at the end of the original film, and they replaced him with Hayden Christensen, which obviously plays Anakin Skywalker in the prequel films. So while once again, while filming Revenge of the Sith, they took Hayden and made him reenact the you know standing scene. But that the body is actually still Sebastian's. They just altered it, altered his shoulders slightly to look more like Hayden. Mm. Um, but it's it's basically just a shoulder edit and making and adding the head everything else is the same because of the movements it's identical yeah um a lot of people don't like this change because how come obi-wan appears as alec guinness as his older self and not ewan mcgregor who plays him in the prequels why does anakin get to be young anakin and not old anakin which still makes sense because it's just the way he appeared to luke in his final moments george's reason for this is that the very last time anakin was truly anakin was during the events of Revenge of the Sith before he turned to the dark side, which is why, as a Force ghost, he appears as his light side Anakin self, which was not seen truly yeah. since that time. So it does make sense. I'll just add my worth into this. Uh, I actually do agree with that, and I'd never heard... I've heard loads of things that George Lucas has said, and I don't obviously agree with everything that he says and has done in regards to some of the changes he's made, but I do actually agree... And even when I watched it, and I obviously I knew that Hayden Christensen was uh, the guy who played Anakin when I watched the special edition version of Return of the Jedi, I do I do kind of see that. And I did get the fact that, oh, that's what he used to look like when he was last good. So I do understand that, and it does make sense. So I do agree with that, and I think it's not a bad change, but at the same time, I understand the other side of things when people say, yeah, it should have been the way he was last seen because it would match with the whole Alec Guinness thing. And obviously, well, Yoda just looks like Yoda anyway. Yeah. He doesn't L really lucky, age. Lucky for us uh, in modern day, because we're getting all these new Star Wars shows, 
Hayden can now show up as a Force Ghost Franakin. Now, unfortunately, they didn't do that in Rise of Skywalker. They had his voice, but they didn't have him show physically. But he probably will show up in the Ahsoka show. Yes. And so, obviously, if they never made that change, it wouldn't make sense for why does he suddenly appear younger as a ghost? So the fact that that change has already been made and established since 2004, which is the version that most people have seen, um, it won't be as jarring to see Hayden return as Anakin as a Force ghost, which was almost guaranteed yeah. in, uh, in the Ahsoka show whenever we get that. Yeah, hopefully that is very soon. Fingers crossed. <laughs> what I will do is mention a couple of the other changes as we wrap up Return of the Jedi. Yeah. So the at the end of Return of the Jedi, there's a celebration. Now, in the original film, it's the Ewok celebration song of Yub Nub, which many people may, may or may not remember. And it was a celebration of, and you just see the rebels cheering, and you see the Force ghosts and everything. Now, in 1997, they changed it to a new song called Victory Celebration, and they added CGI scenes. And what that, what that included was a shot of Cloud City, yes. a shot of Tatooine, and a shot of Coruscant even, which is, remember, Coruscant was From not, not been seen, but Phantom Menace was in production, yeah. so they already had the, the, the footage done, even by 1997, and you saw Coruscant. Now, in the 2004 version, they added Naboo as well to that roster, and yes. edited and edited Coruscant in order to have the Senate building in the background, because obviously that had not yet been established until the prequels actually came out. Yeah, so therefore creating more links to yeah. the overall universe. And just so you got to see again, the galaxy celebrating cementing. the end of the Empire. Which again, um, I kind of, I see the point that they do with that. They're like encompassing the universe, like all the further films that came after. But it's one of those things of like, I feel like we get the gist, like lots of people would say, we get the gist that there's gonna, there's like a celebration in the universe, even though you don't see it. But then for the likes of people who say, well, we don't actually see it, it's a good chance for them. But yeah, it's obviously very strange and jarring because like the creatures that you see in the New Hope that have been added into the special editions, um, it's very obvious that you get the film and it's actually shot on film. And then you get the CGI computer graphics, which look a little bit, especially Naboo especially Naboo. <laughs> yeah, I think the uh, is a bit jarring. Obviously, with uh, in Empire Strikes Back special editions, when they added windows and stuff, you could see CGI Cloud City outside. Now, personally, I don't mind the change because the corridors look boring as hell before. So, in, you know, obviously, the original is always the superior version because it's the original, but I liked the way it looked. So they did have, you know, the city designed... Uh, already so that's why you know they had it available to them to use at the end of return of the jedi mm. and it's nice to see places that we have seen celebrating you know everyone's very happy for the most part that the empire is gone obviously it's not gone completely no we see that in the sequels and there's imperial remnants for many years but the battle of endor in return of the jedi was one of the last major victories before the Empire was officially considered disbanded because the Emperor was gone and so was Vader. So yeah. It's a nice, like, it's a nice ending to, it the, is. to the trilogy. It is a nice ending. And to be honest, I think you've just, you've brought this to a nice conclusion there. And I will say that it, just to wrap this episode up, really, to be honest, it's just nice to hear someone talk so passionately about Star Wars. And we're going to continue doing this. 
Um, I feel like we're going to have a bit more debating on the next episode, which will be looking at the prequels, which started from 1999 and ended in 2005. So that's Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. Jack, I just want to say for now, thank you so far for contributing to this episode. And I look forward to sharing the next episode with you guys. I just, uh, several things that I'm just going to point out quickly as well. You know, my favorite film overall is Empire Strikes Back in the original trilogy. I love the Carbonite scene where Han Solo gets frozen. And I love that all three of these films start off with something so distinctive and then they conclude with something just as cool. Like you have two happy endings at the beginning and the end of the trilogy and you have the cliffhanger to end all cliffhangers, in my opinion, in the Empire Strikes Back. And as I said, I'm Your Father will always be the standout moment from the original trilogy and the whole saga as a whole. Uh, just a quick one as well. Um, I would like to say, personally, I will rate the films and then Jack can as well. Out of, I'm going to do them out of five. So personally, I would say A New Hope. I'd rate that four out of five only because it's not my favourite, but it's still a solid decent film overall it's got a good beginning strong beginning strong ending strong story throughout and some great model effect sequences and special effects of the time excluding the special edition changes um some groundbreaking stuff for the 70s and then empire strikes back five out of five for me because to be honest it is my favorite and i'll unashamedly say you know without a doubt it's great fun from start to finish from the opening to the betrayal to the battles all the way up to the freezing carbonite, everything else, and Boba Fett as well, his appearance in it. I just love every single fabric of it. Uh, and then Return of the Jedi, again, I think, to be honest, I like it, but I would say that's the lowest one rated for me, even though it does have some of my favourite moments in the trilogy, like standout moments like Redemption of Vader and such. But I'd say probably, I'd say somewhere between 3.5 and 4 out of 5 because it's not my favourite film, but it's not terrible by any means. It's just, it's a third film at the end of the day. Uh, what about you, Jack? And also, Jack, do you want to give us a shout out for your uh, social medias as well, so people can follow you to see your work and any more Star Wars stuff as well? Okay, so I'll start with my rating. So if, we, if we're allowed to do 0.5s, then uh, I would give A New Hope 4.5. If I can't, I'll give it a 4. Obviously, it's classic. You can't, I can't, I, it's not a perfect film, but it's, I would say it's very close to being perfect. And obviously it has, it's very enjoyable. Trench run is the best part of the film, the climax. Basically every time TIE fires are on screen, I'm happy. So <laughs> Empire Strikes Back, that's five out of five, obviously. The opening scene on Half, I used to watch that on repeat as a kid. And obviously the duel between Luke and Vader is very good as well. Return of the Jedi, that's a solid four. Not as good as A New Hope, but I still really enjoy it. Obviously, it's got the best lightsaber duel of the of the original trilogy with uh, Luke and Vader on the Death Star, and obviously it wraps everything up really nicely. So it's really difficult to rate these films because essentially, as far as as I'm concerned, you can't have one without the other. So I'm ha I would be happy to rate like the original trilogy itself. That's a five, you know, and it sounds like I'm giving max points, but as a trilogy together, it works perfectly. So that's what I would say on that. I would agree on that. I'd say solid five out of five for the full three, I'd say as well. And a final note on uh, with Empire Strikes Back is with a lot of films, a lot of people say that Empire Strikes Back is not a perfect film and it's not, but it's the perfect sequel. 
it's it does everything a sequel needs to do it expands the lore of the universe it gives us more character development and it continues the plot in a meaningful and understandable way like nothing appears in empire strikes back that you go that's that feels out of place that does that doesn't feel like the previous film that doesn't make me question how the universe's rules work no rules are broken in the film everything continues the way expect well of course there's an emperor there's an empire so of course there was oh, Obi-Wan can't be the only Jedi left. There's another one. There's Yoda. You know, all these things continue very organically, which is why I really like... When a sequel is done well, that's why it makes it the best film. It's a bit like Aliens. You know, the first Alien film is really good, but Aliens is my favorite. It's the perfect sequel. You wouldn't necessarily call it a perfect movie, but it once again, it builds on everything that the previous one set up. Of course, there's a Queen Alien, etc. Yeah. So the Empire does a very similar thing for that, which is why I think it's the best of the three films. Mm. But you can only really appreciate it after you've watched all three. Anyway, as for social media, I'm on Instagram. So I'm at Jack underscore Parker underscore media. I also, if you if you guys, anyone watching is actually interested in Star Wars merchandise, I have a couple of things for sale on Teespring. So that's uh, Jack Parker's art on Teespring. You can get like a mug with all the lightsabers from the Skywalker saga on it or, a, or have it on a glass or a pillow t-shirt. Also, if you're a fan of the larger Star Wars expanded universe and you know the character of Mara Jade, I've got several designs and shirts with her on it in all her different costumes from all the expanded universe books. So if you're interested in that, check it out. Yeah, that's it really. Well, thank you very much there, Jack. I'm sure I'll be, I know I've definitely had a little look at that website and I will encourage everyone else to do that as well. So please check Jack's social media and his little online shop out as well and any of his relative work. And if you've enjoyed this discussion, please give us a follow on Instagram. So this is at Tank97 underscore podcast for both Twitter and Instagram. We're on there regularly posting visual content and teasers, polls, and all sorts of bits and pieces relating to our episodes there. But yeah, just want to say thank you again, Jack, for coming on. It's been great having you on, and I can't wait for the next two episodes to look at the next stages in the saga. I'll be looking forward to it. Thank you very much there, guys. Right, that is a wrap on Take 97 of Film Podcast, the original Star Wars trilogy edition of the podcast. And me and Jack will see you next time for the prequel trilogy. See you later, guys.